mama, hey I'm glad to see you here with me I know it gets rough, please don't give up Today we gon' shake off all that weight Put your head up high, crown to the sky Walk in my face, and up by sight Take my hand and hold it tight Those cloudy days, kiss the goodbye So hey mama, hey mama, hey Glowing even through the rain I promise you'll see better days All you need is a little faith Take my hand and we'll have a dance Just some laugh with friends And we'll ride into the very end What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the My Sisters Glow Podcast A safe space for mothers to grow in their uh, faith As well as motherhood through sisterhood If you are a first-time listener, welcome If this is you, are excuse me If you are a repeated listener, hey girl Glad to have you back Y'all, I'm so excited because we are continuing our Mommies and Mental Health series, and we have a very special guest, and y'all, I was so excited to in, um, to interview this young lady because she is one of the many people who inspired me to go back to school and become a therapist, and now that I am at the end of my therapy journey, it is such a full circle moment for me to be speaking to this woman who I've interacted with on Instagram. I slide in the DMs, y'all. I've interacted with her on Instagram for years, but to be interviewing her via Zoom right now is like so surreal to me. So without further ado, I'm going to allow the great Janae Johnson to introduce herself. Hi, thank you so much for that. That was so cute. I love that. Uh, So hi, everyone. My name is Janae, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist based in Philadelphia and New Jersey. Um, and I, I work with teens. I love teenagers. I love working with their families and just really strengthening those relationships. Um, I'm also an author of the book series, Dear Teen Self, where we have one book and two journals. One journal is for girls and one journal is for daughters and moms. Um, and yeah, I'm just an all around mental health advocate. And I just want to make sure we are having healthy and full conversations about teen mental health as much as we can. Awesome, awesome. So um, we're just gonna jump right in because I'm so hyped to do this interview. So here we go. <laughs> so um, can you just tell us a little bit of why and how you got started down this uh, journey of being a mental health professional? Yeah, um, so I started this journey of being a mental health professional because when I was a teenager, I really struggled myself with understanding my feelings and my emotion. And they were all over the place. They were so big. My feelings were so big. And I just felt like no one understood it. People might have seen my behavior and knew that it was like not the best, but no one really took the time to understand or ask me like, what's going on with you? What's happening? And I made a lot of poor choices because I struggled emotionally. And so when I finally left um, high school, I went into college and I wanted to study psychology also because I thought human behavior was interesting. Like I learned about classical conditioning and I don't you, yeah, I don't know about you guys out there, but when my teacher told us about that, I was wearing my love spell all the time to make sure you know, <laughs> I had love spell on deck always. And I'm like, does this smell going to remind them of me? And then I was like testing people out. And I called my high school boyfriend at the time every day at nine o'clock for 30 days. And then on the 31st day, watched him call me like, what's going on? You didn't call me. So I just really started to explore 
develop, you know, human behavior. And I thought it was fascinating. Um, but then it finally connected like, oh, well then maybe I can understand like how people do things and like their behavior and their emotion and all of that. So that's what led me <laughs> to therapy. And I knew from a very, very early perspective that I wanted to work with teenagers. Um, and I think, I don't know, I think God kind of continued to like lead me to it because it was really uncharted. I mean, it's it's becoming a little bit more charted now, but when I first started, like I graduated high school in 2005, um, nobody was talking about teen-specific therapy or therapy in general, so yeah. Um, yeah. Now, well, first of all, like, I'm, I'm about to do that to my fiance. I'm gonna start wearing some love spells. <laughs> Years. <laughs> oh my god, such a throwback, but I just really have been thinking about like how I jumped into psychology and I was literally just test driving stuff. Like, oh, you can do that? Okay, let me try it. I love it. I absolutely love it. What I love even more is that you um the ability to be able to recognize who you were as a teenager mm-hmm. and what you were feeling, what you were going through, decisions that um, you might not would have made if you had been wiser at the time because I think sometimes as um, adults and you know for this platform in particular as mothers like it's so very easy to forget who we were when we were 13 14 15 16 yeah so like first of all being a teenager was hard from what I remember like yeah. little transparent moment I was what they call a late bloomer in school and so like I remember when all the girls had booties and boobs and I was like well where am I at like I was 15 like where where are they at Jesus I don't see them and then (laughs) I don't have a problem no more but you know like when they came in all of a sudden I was like yes but then by that time it had moved on to something else but I just remember my confidence being such an issue for me as a teenager and I always say that I was one of those teenagers that fell between the cracks because I grew up in a home with a mother and a father and um, they were in church and my mom, again, I told you my mom's a therapist earlier. <laughs> like my mom had this great job and she was always at the school, very active and I had a hardworking father. So for me, I think outside looking in is that people assume that she, like, what else does she need? She's fine. Like she's geared up for success. And so when people thought that I was just so, they assumed I was set up for success. Nope, literally nobody asked me what's going on. Are you okay? And I had good grades. And the backside of that, and I share this openly now because my parents also share this as part of their testimony, is that my parents were going through a very rough time in their marriage during my high school years. And during my high school years, I became, I was, I was doing good in school, but I became very rebellious at home. Um, I was engaging in risky and promiscuous behavior. I mean, granted, I had one boyfriend in high school, but still like looking back, like as a parent, like I'm probably going to crawl inside a hole if my, my child comes (laughs) home and tells me some of the stuff I did as a teenager. (laughs) I'm like Jesus please no so I'm so glad that there's somebody like you to be able to represent teens but also to help parents at on the home side of it because I also know that as a professional it's one thing to help the teens in your setting but it's another thing to educate and support parents at home absolutely and it can really look different you know I think um so part of the reason I study family therapy 
um, is because I, when I reflected on my life, I said to myself, like, I wasn't the problem. It was my family. <laughs> you know, that was just me. I was like, I was not the problem because, you know, I'm this spoiled only child. And I was like, can't be me. Um, but I do think what happened was I was a product of my environment and I didn't know how to effectively communicate. So it was me to some extent, but there still was a very overwhelming reality that my family probably also didn't have the tools and they didn't know what to do. And so I didn't have that awareness until I went off into a graduate school, actually. And that's when I was able to see like, okay, you picked the right um, degree to, to study because if you want to work with teens, it is important to kind of understand that family piece, understand, you know, birth order, what the family of origin is like, yeah. is trauma being passed down generationally because yes, that happens more than we like to talk about. And, you know, that was really kind of pivotal in my work. And so working with families in terms of like helping their teens navigate things is important, but it's really scary at the same time. And the reason why I'm saying that is because you have a lot of parents who become resistant to hearing an opposite or an, or an opposing view of raising their child, especially when that child is a teenager, because they had a lot of skin in the game already. So they really feel like you can't tell me what to do, <laughs> or I'm only bringing her here because the guidance counselor said so, or because, you know, she's running around telling everybody she's suicidal. She just wants attention, right? So it, we can have that really uh, sticky part of treatment where you have a parent that is ingrained in their own mindset, whether that's, you know, based on religion or whether that's based on maybe they have, you know, unanswered mental health issues. And so then they'll kind of pass that on and not trust or mistrust uh, mental health professionals. And in those cases, I do have to take a lot more time nurturing the parent, yeah. making sure that they have a safe space within me as well to talk about what's going on. Um, and most of the time, just a little bit of encouragement, because even if you're saying all of those things, if you still find your child up for therapy and you still, you know, answering me and calling and stuff, you, you, you care. It's just about the how, right? How that care is coming across, how you are allowing this shift in your reality to have its place in your world. Um, and that's what, you know, family therapy is about. It's really about the process. So we can work on the how, um, especially once if the content is there, which is you actually bringing your teen in for therapy. Gotcha. Yeah, and so that kind of leads me into my next question is how can parents support okay like look so let's say for example um you have a child or you have a teen that is in therapy already how can parents be supportive of that process because the therapeutic process looks very different for everybody I'm sure you've seen it play out a million different ways how yeah. can a parent support their their child in that you know throughout that process um, so I think the very first thing, and I'm chuckling because it happens every time I go over it with parents that, you know, sessions are confidential, that I cannot tell them what they teens tell me, and they still proceed to ask. <laughs> they still want to know every single thing their teen is saying, and, or if they don't ask me, they'll go ask their teen. Like, what are you talking about? I'm paying for this and you still not telling me what's going on. So I think one of the very first things a parent can do to show support of therapy is to 
not be pushy. I'm not saying that you shouldn't ask. Definitely, if you want to check in, like, oh, how did it go? How was it? You know, but if your teen just said, oh, it was good, you know, you may be able to ask one more follow-up question, but not kind of throw a bunch of, you know, jabs or subliminals about them not telling you more or saying things like, oh, well, I'll pay for it. Like, you better be telling me everything. Um, So I think that that's one way is to just kind of not be pushy around with the content of the session was, um, I think the other thing is helping your teen be on top of the schedule. So while teenagers get to sign for their own treatment, depending on the, you know, the age of consent in their state, I think sometimes parents may, if they feel a way, they may not help their teen stay on track. So they may not help them with reminders, or they may not make sure that they have a quiet space in the home to have the session. Or if they know their teen is in session, they still may, excuse me, like ask their teen to come help them with something, right? Or be inter or interrupt. So I think another way to be supportive is to respect the time and the schedule of when therapy is supposed to happen, how long their session is, not expecting anything from them, you know, just making sure that they kind of have a safe space to be in that therapy session. And then I think the third thing I want to mention about around support is not, and it could be conscious or subconscious, but like not purposely going against everything the therapist is saying (laughs) or everything that they like, you know, that's like an extreme version, but it's just like, sis, now you're paying me for this and you're going to go over like, what, what are we doing here? Okay. You and I need a session now. Um, but I think that that's really important to not uh, completely go against it because I think what parents don't realize is you're sending your team to learn a skill, to learn how to communicate. But then when they start communicating, you call it disrespectful or tell them that they're being too wrong. And so those two don't go together. So we really have to figure out my favorite analogy is I tell a parent, which train do you want to be on? The same train that goes to New York does not go to DC. So where you where are we going? <laughs> like, uh, what yeah. direction are we going? And sometimes I have to do that mid-session or mid-treatment because I'll be working with a client going toward New York and the parent is still like, DC? And I'm like, no, but okay, let's stop. Okay, right here, we stopping in Philly. What is going on? Where are we going? Um, and then I have to kind of encourage parents. And an example of this could look like if a, a teenager is dating, but the parent gave the teenager permission to date. Okay. But then when the teenager starts dating, the parent might start calling the teenager names or being slick or having like side comments, which impacts that teenager's mental health and their self-esteem. And then I have to pull the parent off to the side to say, do you recall giving them permission to date? And then we have to have that conversation because what I then sometimes have to empower them is if you're not ready for that, if you don't know what you really want dating for her to look like, it doesn't have to be on the table. Yeah. You don't have to agree because it's a desire of your teenager right now until you have more time to think about what you want it to look like. But what we can't do is agree and then shame. We can't agree and then name call. We can't agree and then tear them down. Because there was an opportunity to, to not agree. There was an opportunity to say, I'm not comfortable with it. And the opportunity can present itself again to communicate. You know what? I'm, I know I agreed to this before, but I'm actually not comfortable with it. How it is, can we table it and come back? Yeah. So, yeah. I, I love, girl, first of all, 
we I, I'm gonna have to cash out your offering because you just preached because <laughs> <laughs> you know some of the stuff we were talking about before we actually started recording um was just mm-hmm. about how I, I told you I think parents think that they have to know everything they mm-hmm. think they have to have all the answers and then when they see another adult granted this is what you went to school for. Like, this is why we got this. This is why I took off student loans so I can help your child. A lot of them, okay? <laughs> like, okay, I'm paying back Sally Mae for you. And so, <laughs> okay, forever. <laughs> and I think that sometimes parents are threatened by that. And that's why you get that backlash that you were talking about. So I'm so glad that you addressed that because it is so important for parents to realize that you have basically trust and respect the therapist. Mm-hmm. you know because like you're you are there to to help and support the child and not just the child but ultimately the whole family system absolutely absolutely and and to even understand the dynamic of the relationship of course your teenager is going to be more open to me right I'm not an authority figure I'm not controlling their life in any way I am literally a listening ear and for teens that talk as much as they do of course they're gonna like me. Of course they're gonna be open. I can't tell them you can't have your phone. I can't tell them they can't have Chipotle. Like I don't have any of those kind of responsibilities. And so they have no reason to quote unquote dislike me or to quote unquote, uh, I guess be disrespectful, right? So just even understanding that the therapeutic relationship, although I'm an adult, just looks so different that it just is it just kind of comes with the territory of being an unbiased person being someone that's essentially a stranger to their lives but that strangeness allows them to be open in a way that they may not be with you and so it can it can allow them to learn how to communicate their feelings better um so yeah just really i think it's important for parents to understand like the the relationship um, dynamic is is actually completely different um and it's a good thing that they're opening up to their therapist early because you can probably get to the root of what's going on uh, much quicker. Yeah, Usually. and, and I, I agree. Like, okay, so parents listening, if you are uh, taking notes, basically respect, put some respect on your therapist's name, okay? Your child- And therapist. loans, okay? Put some respect on my name <laughs> and all <the> loans. <laughs> put some respect on the name, because listen, this is not- it's not easy work, you know, as a therapist, yeah. I'm sure you hear, um, like you said, you're listening ear. So people little, literally come to you and you're like, they're like, okay, um, can I dump off all my crap here and then walk out? Okay, sure. Like, yeah. let's do that. So you hear a lot of things, but something else you said, really, I felt like, now I know every mom listening to this doesn't necessarily have a team, but I think it's something that we can apply to all of our children. And I, I have this little joke knock on wood but like I have a toddler and I always say I wonder if this is what teenagers are like because she's gonna do what she feel like doing but the whole piece (laughs) the whole piece about not shaming your child and the way we basically communicate with them I I wanted you to kind of expand on that a little bit more because okay specifically let's just talk very candidly like about the black community like I've actually heard like some of my older aunties and grandmas and great grandmoms like you hear what I'm talking about as a kid you running around playing so you're not really picking up on it but reflecting back as an adult you hear them say like some girl that had a boyfriend like you like okay she fast or you know she she's looking for attention because she 
you know, mm-hmm. thought about committing suicide or has been talking about suicidal ideations or um, somebody being crazy. And there's all these names. And for myself specifically, I was very, um, I like to say I was emotionally aware. Okay. <laughs> Call me crybaby. Okay, feel so how you feel, sis. <laughs> I like to say that I was always an emotionally aware child. Like I always sense and feel and, li- and listen. Now it's working out for me because I'm about to become a therapist, and like that is so necessary to be able to read a freaking room. Like, okay. <laughs> but one of the things I wanted to touch on is like the importance of not shutting our kids down with our words and how damaging that could be to their mental health as you know, as children. And first of all, if you're doing that, like maybe check yourself because why aren't you even talking to a child like that? But that's a whole other segment. But if you want to touch on it, please feel free. Okay. I'm going to touch on it because it gets on my nerves. Um, so uh, I, uh, I want to put this. I think it's very heavy. I think it's heavy because in our community, what we tend to do is we equate negative things that happen to us systemically as an individual issue. Um, so for example, chief bass, right? That comes from being afraid that your daughter might be sexually abused. Um, and, and so because we have this fear because it's happened so much in our family or in our, our history, right? We're trying to find the most quick, sharp, whatever thing we got to do to try to stop that from happening without kind of addressing the root, which is usually the men or the person, because it could be a woman too, doing the abusing, right? So we have this very long history of honoring our family to a fault, right? Even when they cause us harm, but we still know that this is an issue. So we see it often in like cookouts and families. It's like, oh, uncle so-and-so is here, leave the door open or don't go near them. It's like, for me, why is uncle so-and-so in the house at all? Because if uncle so-and-so has touched somebody, he don't need to be here. And I think we have to sometimes take on that charge in our families to be okay with being talked about or disliked because we set a firm boundary around not having uncle so-and-so here, right? But then I think that there's this, this, there's also this other side where a lot of our elders have been abused in a lot of ways and never had room to talk about it, was always told what happens in this house stays in this house. And because they kept living on, they feel like they're okay, although they're harboring that pain and then they kind of pass it down. So I think the very first thing that I'm going to say to your point is if you're using those kind of terms to describe something, it's important to consider what's coming up for you. Um, Because literally, you know, Black girls are not supposed to wear red lipstick, red nails. It's nail polish. But we we sexualize it. And, And why? Right? We've done those things based on the male gaze. And so we have to challenge a lot of those thoughts that we've learned um, because consent, right? We talk about consent. Consent is consent. That's teaching a two-year-old, hey, make sure you add to John if you can use his pencil before you just take it. Consent isn't just sexual. Consent is, you don't have, it's, it's just in general. It's permission. And we should all be teaching that and having those kind of conversations. And so 
I want us to be careful with our words. And I want us to think about this. I think we talk about Black families a lot and say like, oh, you know, we're resilient. Yes, but we should not be putting ourselves in situations to always have to be resilient from. It is okay for us to choose not to harm ourselves emotionally, verbally, psychologically. It's okay for us to say, I don't want to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Although we know we are resilient, we still have some choices not to do it that way. Um, but it might take a little bit more unpacking individually. Because if you recall fast a lot, you are more than likely going to call your child fast if you are not having that same concept of let me back away. That was not okay. That actually did make me feel bad. When we talk about spanking, right? And I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but please go off because I'm loving okay. it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but it's like when we talk about spanking too, it's kind of like, oh, all right, well, I got spanked and I turned out okay. It's like, how do we know that? How are we measuring what is okay? Is okay? Like, what is it? Can you communicate your feelings or do you rush to hit your child when you're frustrated? Do you rush to hit your partner when you're frustrated? Are you giving people the silent treatment? Like what is okay? So just because something happened to us and we are still living (laughs) doesn't mean we are like emotionally okay. And I think that that's just something in our community, I would love to see us reflect on a little bit more just in terms of if every practice we know is beneficial to us emotionally. I love that. You know what? Let's let's challenge the listeners. Like let's <laughs> what is everybody's challenge for that? Because this is a bi-weekly show for this season. For, for the next two weeks, that should keep y'all nice and busy. Please think <laughs> about that. Like because it's 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 something that we just well my mom did it. My grandma did it. My dad did it. My granddad did it. We, we just accept. So like, I, I know we probably going to get in trouble. We might, they might actually call us and take away our black card because we saying this out loud, but um, I, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent supportive of spanking. Like I don't spank my children. And I know like the elders in my family be looking at me like, uh, <laughs> what are yeah. you doing? but the reason why I don't spank my children is because when I get to the point where I'm like, that I feel like I might want to spank my children, it's because I'm frustrated. Right. So I have to acknowledge me and my feelings before I correct my child. Now, my I will say my oldest child right now, granted, my kids are only three and nine, so mm-hmm. I haven't gotten into the teenage phases, and I couldn't sure, tell you sure. what it looks like, but I can tell you that for my nine-year-old, her losing a privilege and explaining to her that that is also how it works when you become an adult. When you, mm-hmm. when you break a rule or you do for every action there's a reaction like and, and that's why I explained to her that as so like yeah. when you don't do your chores for the week you don't get an allowance because when you grow up and you become older whether you become a business owner or you're somebody else's employee when you don't show up for work you don't get money mm-hmm. simple concept <laughs> And my kid, I don't know, I guess she got it from me, but she loves to shop on Amazon. (laughs) She looks forward to that weekly allowance. I love it. I'm sorry, sis. How many times did I have to ask you to clean your room and to vacuum the floors and you didn't do it? So Mm -hmm. I'm holding your allowance this week. And sis, Mm -hmm. butt hurt. But guess what? The next day she right back to it and I don't have to say anything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not just teaching her a concept of 
you know, it's important to keep your house clean. I'm teaching her a life concept. You mm-hmm. have to work for what you want. I'm not just giving you money because, you know, you're my daughter and I love you, which is true. But sis, I don't have to pay you for that. Like, mm-hmm. you have to work for it. So I would like to... <laughs> us as parents and as mothers listening to this to challenge our ways of thinking mm-hmm. um, and even with my youngest daughter who um, I've shared on the show that I really struggled in my postpartum period yeah. so um, a lot of times so when my let me back up when my daughter was a newborn I had moved into this apartment it was just me this baby and this four or five year old little girl my oldest daughter and it was hard and I was scary and I was fresh out of a breakup and my daughter had what the doctor, well, you know, I don't know what the doctors call it, but the old folks call it that she had colic. So -hmm. she was a very screaming baby, like around the clock, like so much that like now, even at three, when my daughter might throw her little mini temper tantrums or she's super whiny or crying, um, her crying triggers me. And it takes me back to when she would cry as a baby. And I have to like legit remember that. And I have this thing that I do, which is like, they call it tapping. Like I literally will tap like this or kind of tap my foot or I will go in the bathroom and I'll breathe. And then I will tend to her because if not, she's already high emotion because I made her put up a tablet or whatever. But if I'm responding to her out of my emotion, I'm not then correcting her behavior that is not you know, ideal, mm-hmm. then I'm now punishing her for what I feel. Yeah. That's not okay. Absolutely. So I got on a long trip to just get around and say, please check yourself, parents, and <laughs> the way that you are doing mm-hmm. your thing. No, but I think that, that was, those were really good examples of how sometimes we have to take a breath, how, so, how sometimes we might be triggered, and how sometimes we can't act in the moment. And I think sometimes when our, you know, children do something wrong, our teenagers do something wrong, we want to jump right in in the moment. And sometimes the moment is just not the best time. Um, We say that to couples, like when you guys are in the middle of a heated discussion, like, you know, and it's the same applies when you're talking to your children because they're people, they're not property. And so once we really stop and look at them as people and not just property, um, I think we engage with them differently and we realize like they have feelings too. They may have a lot going on too. And because they don't have all of their language, they may not be able to communicate it. And so as a parent, we may have to take on more of the, you know, the mystery of trying to figure out what's wrong. We have to manage our feelings a little bit differently and better to be supportive. Um, but yeah, you gave some great examples of just what can happen if you're triggered and taking a moment for yourself and just knowing that they'll still be okay and that it's important for you if you need to collect yourself to collect yourself. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And so I know we, we've said a lot because we had a lot of feelings about a lot of things in this conversation, but okay. What, like if you, um, if there's like a mom listening to this and she's concerned that maybe her child is having uh, some mental health issues. And I know that that is a huge blanket of things because Mm -hmm. there could be um, a a multitude of symptoms that we're looking at for depending on what the diagnosis Mm -hmm. is. Um, What would you say to to a mom that's maybe listening to this and they're concerned about their child's mental health and what they should then do? What, What would be your answer to that? 
So my answer would be to consider what's causing concern. Um, so just thinking about that, like what is what is making me feel concerned? Is it because they're in their room more than usual? Is it because they're talking more than usual? Is it because they keep cutting their hair or I'm noticing that they're drawing on themselves? So just kind of really asking yourself like what is causing me concern? And then the next step is to ask yourself, is this really abnormal behavior? So you really want to pay attention to if what your teen is doing, is it out of the norm? Um, so of course, if you have a teenager that really loves having long hair or they've had long hair for a long time, never kind of express, you know what, I want to try something different, cut my hair. But then you wake up the next day and see that their hair is now a bob when their hair was like bra strapping. Okay, that might be you know, that's a drastic action, but that's something to pay attention to because there was like no conversation about it. Mm -hmm. You've known them to like having, you know, long hair and now their hair is cut short. Not that short hair is long. Again, we're saying it in terms of a baseline. So I think that that's the most important thing that the symptomology in your teenager may look different based on who your teen is. So you definitely have to get a baseline for who they are and then what is actually abnormal to what they're doing and, and what they are um, engaging in. So once they do that, then I would say inquire and ask questions. So then just ask your teenager if something is going on, if they feel a certain type of way. Um, and I think sometimes parents get scared there because they can think their teen won't tell them the truth. But sometimes you'd be surprised if you directly ask them something, they will say, yeah, I'm depressed. And they'll be like, what? Like, how do you even know what that is? But most teenagers have access to resources and information. They know what's going on. So right. those are just kind of my key entry point conversational things to kind of address or assess what your teen has going on. Um, yeah, and then from there, Okay, so I know we've talked about a lot, but one thing I wanted to do was to give you the space to tell all the wonderful people that are listening to this show about some of the resources that you offer, because I know you do a lot with teen girls. Um, I've been watching, again, I've been stalking you on social media for the past three years. So if you would like to just tell everybody how they can reach you or find more uh, resources for their teens and families, could you please share that? Yes, absolutely. Um, so you guys can find me on Instagram. That's probably my most active, yet not that active, <laughs> social media account at Teen Talk Therapy. Um, and from there, I post different content where you can kind of get some insight. I tend to tag other pages every once in a while that kind of, you know, talks about like sexual identity and different things like that. So feel free to just follow me there on Teen Talk Therapy. Um, and on a website, I also have a shop with resources. So you can just get some things there if you want some more support. Um, one of the bigger things that I have on the website that I love are social media contracts. So if you and your teen are kind of navigating what social media is supposed to look like, feel free to get some of those and just kind of talk out how they're going to use that safely. And I think that's a really um, cool tool that I created. So yeah. Yeah, so basically she's awesome and yeah. <laughs> 
So no, thank you so much, Janae, for being on the show. It is such an honor. Um, I'm super grateful that everybody that is listening, going to listen to this and benefit from um, your expertise and what you bring to the table. Thank you for pioneering uh, that teen talk therapy area for us because there are not enough people that want to help support our teens. Um, so thank you for kind of deciding to kick the door down and be like, I oh, know we're going to get in this room and let's talk about it. So thank you so much for all you do. Oh, thank you so much. You make me happy that I did it because I was definitely not sure about what I was doing. <laughs> so I appreciate that so much. Yeah. So, all right, ladies, that's all we have for this week. Um, I will put all of um, Janae's information in the show notes. So that way she's only a click away. Please go check her out. You will not be disappointed. So until next time, peace.